Eating together. There's just something about people coming together around food, no matter what culture we come from. When I traveled to Pakistan as part of my role with Alpha, the consistent question I got asked was, Chai? Tea? There was chai early in the morning, chai in the late morning, chai after lunch, and chai at tea and after dinner? You guessed it, chai. Most of our group pictures were at a table holding a cup of chai. Then in one of our stops in Lahore, a friend so kindly invited us to his home. And before we could even sit on the couch, out comes a tray from the kitchen with... Not chai, it, it was juice. But later, he took us into an inner room and there was a feast laid out for us and over all sorts of naan bread and curries, we had lots of laughter, but also lots of deep and real conversations. Oh, and then he brought up the chai. Over the course of his ministry, Jesus often created a sacred space at a meal table. Someone once said in Luke's Gospels, Jesus was either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Sounds like a Malaysian. And his eating habits, well, it revolved around who he chose to dine with, with the oppressed, outcasts, and the hurting. Jesus' table ministry served as an entry point for many into the kingdom of God. Well then, it wouldn't surprise us to find out that on the last night before He went to the cross, Jesus gathered His disciples around a meal. And today, I would like us to almost pull our metaphorical chairs closer and join Jesus and His disciples at a dinner table from a scene in Scripture called the Last Supper. Now, this particular meal forms the foundation for why we celebrate communion as a church family, and we'll do that later today. And as we read the passage, I want to encourage us to lean into the private conversation Jesus had with His closest disciples. And as we do that, I pray you'll get a fresh understanding on the meaning of communion. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you so much that we can come to your table. And today, as we hear your word, would you give us a fresh sense of the meaning of communion and why we take it as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 22, verse 14 to 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, what was this dinner party all about? Well, this is no ordinary culinary event. They came together to celebrate Passover, that time of the year where thousands of Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. Now, the question every foodie is probably asking, 
What were they eating? And does it matter? Well, yes, because it's widely held that an important aspect of Passover involved the host explaining the significance of each element on the menu in relation to how God saved His people. But at this particular Passover, Jesus does something out of the ordinary, as He would always do. Instead of recalling the past, Jesus pointed them to the future of His impending suffering and death. So friends, at the dinner table, let's begin the meal proper. Now to start, the host would normally bless the bread and the bread wouldn't look quite like that. They would use unleavened bread, which is a flat bread baked without yeast, and then break it and share it with those sitting around the table. Now at this point, Jesus too took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Now, what could Jesus mean when he said that? Well, bread in Jesus' day was eaten on a daily basis with virtually every meal. It provided physical nutrition and sustenance. Now, I'm not sure what that would be for you, but recently a campus student came up to me and said, Pris, something is wrong with my day. And out of concern, I asked, oh, why? And she said, well, I didn't have none bread today. Hmm. Nonetheless, it's very likely that Jesus' words linking bread to his body are in reference to manna. Manna? What is that? Well, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after the Exodus, a supernatural bread called manna would rain down from heaven as food every morning. Now, why would Jesus refer to manna? Why not the bread they see every day on their dining table? Well, for centuries, the Jews were waiting on a savior that would be sort of a new Moses who would not only save them the same way their ancestors were saved through an exodus, they were expecting God to rain down manna once again. In fact, in John 6.30, we see a crowd ask Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus' reply surprised them. He said twice, I am the bread of life. Basically, Jesus says to the crowd, you've been waiting for manna, which is only temporary to feed and satisfy you, but I am the true bread of heaven who gives you Life And through this Passover meal, Jesus establishes that it is His body that is about to be broken, pierced, crushed, wounded for our sins on the cross. And as we come to the table and receive what He has done for us, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now in life, most of us are taught to chase after our dreams and find happiness through relationships or money or career. Now, these are not bad things, but we are led to believe that once I've arrived at that place, tick all the boxes, I'll finally be happy and forever satisfied. In the midst of the chase, if we are honest, many of us can't shake off the niggling feeling that it's never quite enough it still leaves us feeling hollow and empty on the inside. 
The actor Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see as not the answer. Now, this is perhaps the point that Jesus was trying to make. The manna they've been waiting for and chasing after was only temporary. In fact, even though God promised to rain down fresh manna every morning when they were in the wilderness, and when the Israelites went out to gather manna, they would try to gather more or keep some for leftovers for tomorrow. And guys, there is no refrigerator in the wilderness. The leftover manna would stink and breed worms. Now, when my husband and I were dating, there were three words he would always say to me. Nope. It wasn't I love you. It was just in case. Everything was a case of just in case. Let's buy an extra cable in case we lose our backup cable and let's buy two extra bags of chips for our trips in case the monkey takes them. Just in case. The monkey was Josh. But don't worry. After the pre-marriage course at HTBB, he said, I love you more. Just in case you're wondering. Isn't that sometimes like our chase for the things in life? It can be born out of a place of worry that it's not going to be enough for tomorrow. Like manna, these things can address and meet our needs for a moment, but they will never truly satisfy. It is Jesus, the true bread of life, who is the only one who can satisfy the deep long spiritual longings in every human heart. The longing for purpose, the longing to be protected, the longing to be chosen, the longing to be happy, to be accepted without shame, and the longing to be loved and to love. And there's only one relationship whose love is perfect, unchanging, and truly satisfying, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, once said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Now, this is why Jesus teaches us to pray this way, and we'll pray that together later. Give us this day our daily bread. He invites us to come to His table every day to feast on true spiritual food, His strength, peace, wisdom, guidance, provision, healing, and the satisfaction and delight of being in relationship with Him. We can trust that Jesus is more than enough and there's freshly baked spiritual bread waiting for you every morning. Now friends, back to the dinner party. Typically at a Passover meal, there would be four different cups of wine. Verse 20 reads, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's widely believed that this cup Jesus held up was the third cup in the sequence of the meal called the cup of redemption. Now, at this point, they will remember that at the first Passover, a lamb was sacrificed and its blood was smeared on the doorposts of each of the Israelites' homes. This was very significant because it opened the way for God's redemption of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And more significantly, it sealed their identity as God's own people. 
Now, in the same way, Jesus, through this Passover meal, establishes that He is the Lamb that is about to be sacrificed. And it is His blood poured out through death, which this cup foreshadows, would open the way for the redemption of the whole world, including you and me. And those who come to the table to receive Him are no longer slaves to sin, and He invites us to a new covenant relationship with God. Nathaniel Horton wrote a book in 1850 called The Scarlet Letter. It's a story of a young woman called Hester Prine who had a baby through adultery. She was put in prison and when the baby was about three months old, Hester was released and the townspeople gathered outside the prison doors to witness her release, jeering and judging her. Then to inflict further shame, Hester was made to stand on a scaffold in a town square and was forced to wear a red cloth with the letter A stitched on the front of her dress. That scarlet letter became her badge of shame and for years afterwards, she was treated as an outcast defined by what she had done. Now, when I read that, I thought, Isn't that like so many of our stories? We walk around with a scarlet letter of our own defined by our sin and our past. And when we look back at how sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, what was their immediate reaction to sin? Shame. Immediate shame. They tried to cover up their shame and nakedness with leaves and didn't want God to find them. Shame causes us to hide, to beat ourselves again and again for what we have done. In fact, psychologists have found that the root of addiction is shame. Because the more we rehearse all the bad things in our lives, it's only about a matter of time that we feel so condemned that we do it again. And that's why shame is one of the greatest weapons the enemy uses against us. It's a sure way to get us to fall into sin again. And in our inner worlds, it's as though the enemy throws us in the town square and whispers to us, shame, shame, as some of us would have heard growing up. Now, if you think today that there is no hope for a change in your life, that isn't true. There is hope in Jesus. You see, scarlet is the same color as blood. And in the Old Testament days, getting the scarlet red dye was extremely expensive. It was only reserved for royalty and holy priesthood. And how this dye was harvested is through a worm. In Hebrew, it's called tola, which means crimson worm or scarlet worm. And this is what's fascinating. When this worm is pregnant and goes to give birth to its young, it will climb up the cross section of a tree and fix itself there, which means it will never again come back down alive. This worm will then give birth to its young underneath its body and the back of the worm's body would turn into a hardened shell to protect the young from its predators. But not only does the mother's body provide protection for the babies, it provides them with food. The baby worms actually eat the body of the mother in order to go into their life cycle. But then, just in a few days, the baby worms will grow to a point that they are able to take care of themselves and the mother worm dies. 
as the mother worm dies, its body will begin to swell up with this crimson, scarlet, red coloured fluid until it eventually bursts and oozes out and stains all her young children. They are coloured scarlet red for the rest of their life. Now, this is why this dye is so expensive because you would only have three days to harvest it. After three days, the body of the worm turns, turns into a snow-white ball of wool that falls from the tree like snow. Perhaps this rings a bell to you as you listen to this. Doesn't it sound so much like what Jesus has experienced? Jesus is like that scarlet worm who went up to the tree, gave himself up to die on the cross, and as we feed on him as our true bread, we receive life, and his blood poured out for us will wipe away the stain of our own sin and shame, and the rest of our lives we are marked not by what we have done, but we are marked by our identity as children of God. And now it makes sense to us, this verse in Isaiah 1.18 that says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. The sting of death through sin and shame no longer has a hold on you through Jesus we started off today with a meal, and this meal was traditionally shared in family. At the table with Jesus were his disciples, who were not his blood family, but Jesus demonstrates something to us here, that through him we are now one family, the family of God. You and I have been extended a new bloodline through Jesus. And this is why we celebrate communion as the church. It comes from the word koinonia, a fellowship meal with God and each other. Apostle Paul puts this this way, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And as Jesus has shown in loose gospels, something always happens at a meal with Jesus. Jesus commanded His disciples, do this, celebrate communion in remembrance of me. Remembrance doesn't just mean recalling the past as we understand it in the English language. Here, Jesus introduced a new emphasis that each time we come together and we share this meal, we are invited to sit at the table with Jesus and the giving of His body and the shedding of His blood is not a past event that bears no power for our lives today, but the victory He has won on the cross over sin and shame brings breakthrough in our present. And not only that, Jesus said, I will not eat and drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So this meal, though it's called the Last Supper, is actually the first of many suppers we'll be having together until Jesus returns again and the full reign of the kingdom of God is established on earth. In a short while, as we celebrate communion, I want to encourage us to Eat it in celebration and, and anticipation of Jesus' full victory because our past, our present and our future all collapse together at this meal. What He has done, what He is for our life today and that He is coming again. 
And maybe today, when you're listening to this, you're you're wondering, am am I invited to the family meal? Could there be a seat for me at the table? But this is His promise, that to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You don't have to be an outsider looking in. Come to the table of Jesus today. You are invited to the family meal. Come and receive forgiveness at His table. Come and be restored in your identity as children of God. Come and be set free from sin and shame. Right now, we're going to pray. And wherever that you're watching this from, um, let's bring our lives afresh before God. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again. And, um, you know, this is something that we do at HDBB just to put our hands, um, you know, like this in a posture of surrender. It's not um, anything special, but it's just a posture that we're bringing before God and an openness to that, Lord, uh, come and fill me again. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us afresh. It's just as we've heard your word. And if you've never accepted Jesus into your lives before, I'm going to pray a prayer and you can um, echo after me in your heart. Um, and, and maybe it's been, you know, something that you, you struggle with to, to, to take that step of faith, to give your life to Jesus. Well, today you are invited. You can come to the table where Jesus is at. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything that you've done for me on the cross. Thank you that you thought about me and that all my sin and shame is forgiven because of what you have done for, for me. Right now, I bring my life before you. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done. Come now and wash me clean from all my sins and fill me again. Fill me right now with the Holy Spirit. I think I want to pray also for... Um, you know, if you're a believer for a very long time, if you had, you know, celebrated communion your whole life, that as you've heard this message, that God wants to give you a renewed sense of what Jesus has done for you, that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in you and for the years to come until He returns again. And also for those who feel like, um, a sense of shame, you know, just hovers over you a long time where you're not, um, you feel like you, you need to hide who you really are. And I think God wants to set you free from sin and shame. And what He has done on the cross is more than enough. You don't have to have your past define who you are. God gives you a new identity as sons and daughters of the King. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have done for us on the cross. We remember your word that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is power to those who believe. We thank you that communion, as we celebrate it, it's not a remembrance of a past event. But Lord, your, what you've done on the cross has power for our lives today. And we thank you that we can eat, take it in anticipation of that you are returning again for your church. So give us a new sense of what you have done for us on the cross and the power it has in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.